You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I, uh, I purchased my, uh, uh, for my mom a gift. It wasn't her birthday or Christmas. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not a great birthday Christmas gift giver. I have to work at that kind of stuff. But my mom was going through some real, just some, some pretty serious trials of life, and she had some surgery on the back end of it and some other things that were going on as well, just really hard things, and uh, just was discouraged and struggling along the way. And I don't remember... Uh, the conversation so much, but I remember her uh, talking about uh, mockingbirds. She lives in Florida, and mockingbirds are kind of popular there. Have you have you ever listened to a mockingbird sing? Uh, they're amazing. They can copy and just about mimic just about anything. We don't usually have too many of them in New York, but they seem to be kind of making their way this way. And we had one making its home in our yard this past year. And you know, you're walking through the yard, and all of a sudden you hear a seagull, and you're just kind of like, "What in the world? This isn't McDonald's, and it's not the ocean." You know, there's no. No seagulls munching on French fries, you know, out in the farm country where I live. But uh, they're just just an amazing creature that God has made. And uh, and for her, it was just a little reminder because, you know, regardless of what was going on in her life, that mockingbird in her yard would be singing every morning. Must have been springtime when she was going through it. And so I bought her that and just encouraged her to remember the mockingbird that God, you know, just as a testimony that regardless of what's going on in our life, that God is still bigger than all of that and God's blessings and all of that grows. Well, this morning, we're going to focus on a memory, something that God has Jesus himself told us that we should do to very similarly, but much more profoundly, to remember his love, his grace, his joy, what he has done for us and in us. When Jesus, before he was crucified, he, he spent the time in that upper room with his closest friends, his closest disciples, and he kind of deepened the meaning of the Passover meal, the Passover supper, and pointed to his impending crucifixion, his impending sacrifice on the cross. And he told us that, that this would be something that we as his followers should, should continue to do until he comes back again. And so we usually do this, if, if, as you guys know in River, we do it about once a month. To be honest with you, for years we just, for lack of a better word, kept forgetting to do it. As awful, as unspiritual and ungodly as that sounds, it really probably was. We just said, all right, we're just going to do it first of the month, no matter what. But uh, it's not first of the month, but it's what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians. So it seemed appropriate for us to celebrate uh, this supper together. So let me read the backstory. We don't usually have time on Sunday mornings when we do the Lord's Supper to read this. So let me read kind of the background. As you guys know, the Corinthian church had struggles And at every turn, Paul is having to correct and help educate them and help them to deal with some hard issues. And they were so messed up, to be honest with you, they didn't even do this well. So I'm glad that we can look at somebody else's mistakes. Aren't you glad when you learn from other people's mistakes and you can avoid them? Well, this is one of the deals for us. Let's don't make their mistake, but let's look at what their mistake was so we can kind of avoid it. Here's what Paul says in verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions... I do not commend you. That's kind of a polite way to say, yeah, you're really messing up. You're really blowing it. You really are screwing things up, guys. I don't commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. 
You'd have been better off if you didn't do this, is what he's saying. He says, for in the first place, I always got nervous when my mom or somebody, in the first place, I knew there was second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth coming down the line. He's like, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. They were divided. They were factions. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes hungry with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? Do you want a pat on the back? You want a compliment? No, no, I will not. The church celebrated, uh, when they did the Lord's Supper, they had a whole meal, much like when Jesus came. So for them in, in Corinth, there would be a whole dinner. It would be like a potluck dinner without the potluck part. Everybody brought their own food. And keep in mind, as a city, this was a church full of diversity. Uh, it was a cosmopolitan area, so there would have been wealthy people most likely in the church. There would have been some Jewish people in the church. There would have been slaves in the church who were part of the church. And there were rich and poor and all, all kinds of diversity. And what Paul, what was going on as a backstory is the wealthy people were coming and they were bringing their dinner to celebrate and they were sitting across the room for an, another person who, because of their job, were getting off work late and didn't really have food. And they were coming in hungry. And there was no real love connection going on among them. And Paul said, look, this is a big issue. What in the world are you guys doing? What are you up to? Now, you may have grown up calling this a different name. We call it the Lord's Supper a lot, but there's some other names. Um, I grew up calling it communion. And communion is another common name. That actually comes out of 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The Bible says there that it refers to the cup of blessing that we bless. He says in verse 16, is it not a participation? That word participation is the word communion. Think about living in a community. You participate in that area of life. It's the idea that we, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that we're sharing together and remembering in our Lord's death. You may have grown up um, and heard the word Eucharist. Uh, that word means it's from comes from a Greek word, literally, that means to give thanks. And so in Matthew and much of the Gospels, when we read the Lord's Supper just before Jesus died on the cross, the Bible makes a point that Jesus gave thanks, and then he broke the bread and gave it to them. And then uh, the Lord's Supper is what it's referred to here in, in, in uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 20. So whichever of the three that, that you are used to calling it about, this chapter tells us what it really is all about and what it's supposed to mean. So three things I want you to recognize this morning. And then we'll celebrate it together. But once you notice the provision that's behind the Lord's Supper, really what, what it's, this is about is not so much about this as it is what's behind this. It's the provision that God gave His only Son, Jesus, who died on the cross. And then we're going to talk about the purpose, why do it, and then we're going to talk about preparation. How do you prepare your heart and yourself 
to, to share in this together the way God meant. So I want you to notice first with me provision. Look at verse 23 and read with me what Jesus um, did. Paul says to them, he's like, here guys, here's what this is all about. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. I got this straight from the Lord Jesus came to me, and I'm giving it to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, I thought about that. Why does he say, why does he say the night he was betrayed and not the night that he was crucified or the night that he paid for our sins? But it focuses on his betrayal. Uh, other than I don't have a real answer to it, other than it's just a reminder of the hideousness of our Lord's death, that he was betrayed in that process. And it's a reminder of that. But he was betrayed, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. That word covenant also means testament. That's in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to focus on two words here. Do you see where the Bible says that this is my body in verse 24, which is for you? See that for you? I want us to re realize that when Jesus died on that cross 2,000 years ago, he did it for you. He didn't do it for somebody, for the world generically. Paul is telling us Jesus is sitting there originally 2,000 years ago before he's died on the cross, and he says, this is my body, which is for you. And he's looking at those men, looking them in the eye right for them and saying, this is for you. They did nothing for this. They, they paid nothing for it. They contributed nothing for this this incredible sacrificial act of God, of Jesus, on our behalf. By definition, that means this is a gift, right? If you don't pay for it yourself, you don't contribute anything to it, you don't partner with it, right? There's no matching retirement funds or anything going out of your account into, into this. Then what this reminds us is, is that God gave us a gift, and He did it for individuals, you know, I, I don't think that there's anybody of any major consequence in the world who got up this morning thinking about me. On one hand, that's good. That means I didn't do anything really bad that, you know, the police are after me or somebody's you know, putting a search warrant out for me. But on the other hand, there's nobody really wealthy out there who's thinking about Sean, saying, I wonder how he's doing, what should he be, wonder if he's up to, everything's okay. Nobody famous, nobody really powerful, no, nothing, no one of any real consequence. But this morning, what God is reminding us of is that the supreme Lord, sovereign God of this universe is thinking of me and he's thinking of you. And he individually gave us a gift, not just a gift to humanity, not just a gift to society, but a gift to us as individuals as a personal act of his incredible love and as an act of sacrifice, he did this for us. So this morning, 
If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior of your life, if you've surrendered to him, what God is, is putting before us is a, a reminder. This is meant to be an encouragement to us. This is meant to be something we take seriously, but it's meant to be something that we take with joy, with a, a celebration. That might be a little bit of a challenge for us. You know, I'm thinking like Super Bowl celebrations. You know, we're used to fireworks and loud music and woohoo and dancing and all of that. But this really is every bit as much of a celebration of what God has done for us and for his love in our hearts. So even if we're kind of not doing that outwardly, and we ought to, I guess, in our singing, that at the very least ought to be on the inside of our souls today. So that's one part of the provision that God's given us. Second thing I want you to notice in that is this word covenant. Notice that he says, this cup is the new covenant. He doesn't say that as much about the body as he does about the juice, the, the wine, the blood. This is the new covenant. The covenant is the same word, we get the word New Testament. It's the idea of God making an a, agreement, an arrangement, a, not as much a partnership, although that is one form of a covenant. You remember when God sent the flood and it flooded the whole earth, and then after that, Noah and his family comes out of the ark, and God puts the rainbow in the sky, and he says, this is a sign that I will not destroy the world by a flood again. God made a covenant, made it a an agreement with Noah and with all of his generations after that, he would never destroy the world by water again. When God called Abraham and said, Abraham, follow me and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make the, you a blessing to this world. That was a covenant that God agreed to do with Abraham. When God called Moses, God called Israel out of Israel and, and he chose Moses to lead the people of Israel. And Moses went up on that mountain, Mount Sinai, and as, he, as God wrote with his own finger initially the Ten Commandments and gave them all the, the rules and the principles to follow in that contractual, that covenant, that what it meant for them to be the people of God, if they believed and trusted him and followed him, that he would bless them. But ultimately, they didn't. They disobeyed God, and they, they destroyed, as it were, broke that agreement. So God ultimately sent His Son Jesus to provide the perfect and the new covenant, the New Testament, not one that would be built on things that people would do, but one that would be built on what His own Son Jesus would do when He died on the cross. And so this morning, as we think about the provision, what's behind this, it's not so much these elements at all. There's nothing special about these. Uh, in fact, all that they are for is to be a remembrance to us. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. But it is a reminder that God in heaven has made a commitment to each person who was willing to receive his son as Lord of their life to turn away from their sins and to trust him as Lord of their life. There is a contractual covenant that God promises to be your God, to bless you, to care for you, to, to cover your sins, to give you a relationship with Him, one that is eternal, that can never be taken away, and ultimately forever with Him in heaven. And God reminds us, He wants us this morning to celebrate that and to remember the provision, the gift, the incredible gift of forgiveness that He has given for us. It was a costly gift. 
This was not a go down to the dollar store kind of gift, you know, and for a dollar eight or whatever tax is on your dollar item that you can buy, you know, here's a gift, Merry Christmas, you know, for you. This was, this cost Jesus his life, his blood. It was a gift of complete sacrifice that he literally took your sins from you and took the full punishment and wrath of God that you're lying and stealing and cheating and your, your lust and adulteries and all of that, all of the sins that are in our heart. Statistics tell us today that most people don't really believe that they're really sinners. I think that's probably true for the most part. You know, we kind of categorize sin today as a really big one. So I've never robbed a bank. I've never murdered anybody. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really a pretty good guy. And truth of the matter is, is... It, it's way more than that. I mean, talk to, sins are more like, if you will, like a germ. You know, talk to a doctor going in and washing their hands. Well, it looks pretty clean. I don't see anything on my hands, you know. I mean, you want them to operate on your loved one if they just kind of use a little ivory soap on their hand, a little sink, and say, hey, everything's good. I mean, that's crazy. You know, there's all kinds of stuff in there. that There are contaminants, and you want every bit of that scrubbed out of there. Well, that's really closer to what our sin is like. We don't see it so much. We get used to it. And Jesus took all of that, paid the price so that you and I could be forgiven and free before a holy God in heaven. That's an incredible provision that God has given to us. Incredible provision. Second thing I want you to notice, not just the provision, but the purpose. Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, well, before I get to that, that's a proclamation. He tells us, as, as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Do you see that? He says, you know, take, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's kind of a twofold purpose. There's a memorial as well as a proclamation. There's a, a remembrance. We're remembering. This is, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's remembering what happened 2,000 years ago that Jesus paid for your sins on the cross, they're a done deal. The Bible says that God buries them in the deepest part of the ocean. And I like what one guy said, and then he posts a no fishing sign over the top. You can't be pulling them back up. God removes those from us, forgives us and separates us, just removes that. And this is a reminder to us, a continual reminder that that's something that was accomplished 2,000 years ago. But it should be a reminder of that time in your life when those things became real and you realized that you were that sinner needing saving and you bowed your knee and bowed your head to the God of heaven. I talk with people often and they'll say, well, I've always believed in God. I've always been, you know, kind of had it together. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's not true at all. You know, how many of you can remember life before you walked? Dan can because he was in the hospital just a few weeks ago where he couldn't walk. But, but aside from that, when you were a little baby, I don't. How long have you been talking? I've been talking, well, I've been walking my whole life. Well, it's really not entirely true. You see, you, you can't always have believed in God and in Jesus your whole life. It's a biological impossibility because ultimately what has to happen in your life is that you consciously surrender. Oh my goodness, you take responsibility for your sins. You stick your hand up and say, I'm guilty. It's like you were sitting in class and the teacher saying, hey, which one of you did this? 
and you were willing to stick your hand up and say, I did. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that guy. If the teacher doesn't know, I'm not going to tell the teacher, right? Isn't that the way you play ball in school? I know it is, because I know I, that's what we do. So somewhere along the line, you and I had to say, God, I am guilty. I'm the one that did it. And God's saying in heaven, thank you. I already knew that. I'm just glad you finally are willing to admit it to yourself and to me. And when we surrender our life and say, God, I really messed up. I need you. To, would you save me and forgive me? And that moment, God takes that salvation and it is applied in real space, time, and life right now. And we become a child of God. And there's that moment. So this morning, it's a remember. It's not just what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It's a, rem a remembering of when you committed your life to Christ. And it's a remembrance from every day from that point to today that you have been forgiven. That God loves you. And He saves you. And that today, you stand in that. It's a memorial. Just like we're familiar with memorials and Memorial Day. This is meant to be more than just a memory it's meant to be something that we do, not so much placing flowers on a grave or visiting a memorial site. If you go to the Old Testament, there are many memorials that God told people to erect. In fact, they usually involve stones, you know, like build this, place this big rock, this big stone, because they're enduring and eternal. Well, this is a memorial that is something that we participate in. It's something that we do to remember that it's the body and blood of Jesus is what brings us forgiveness and it's something that we take inside of ourselves, not so that these somehow magically bring forgiveness into us, but it's a reminder that even though Jesus died on the cross, we have to take that into us by faith, surrendering our Lord Je to our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a memorial of all of that and reminder. Its second purpose is it's a proclamation. So the memorial part is from the past to today. But Jesus says what? Jesus told Paul or another apostle, and they told Paul, but in verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's a proclamation that starts from today and continues on until Jesus comes forward, that every time we participate in this supper, that it's not just a reflection of the past and what God has done, but it's a, a proclamation. It's a declaration from our own soul that, that Jesus is my hope, that regardless of what today is bringing, regardless of what tomorrow's bringing, regardless of whatever crazy or mundaneness of life, sometimes mundane can just really be just really brutal as well, but regardless that we are proclaiming the fact of Jesus' death on our behalf, that is our hope. That is our trust. You see, God wants us to, in this simple act this morning, is for us to kind of get out of the hubbub, as we talked about, and to focus in on that, that He is our whole hope. You and I get in trouble when we put our hope and our trust in other things. You ever had your hope dashed before? I have. Whether it's in a person Maybe it was a car. Maybe it was your, probably your first car. Probably you had lots of hopes and then reality hit, you know, and the transmission went and the muffler fell off and everything else under the sun. We hope. Guys, he's calling us to put our hope and our trust in something that is enduring, untouchable, that can never be faded, to be never taken away, that will never fall apart. And it's a declaration of that.
this morning that regardless of what is going on in your life, everything's okay because Jesus died for you and the God of heaven loves you and he knows you truly by name. When you have surrendered your life to him, there is a relationship and these are truths that you claim and that he wants you to proclaim So as we do this even together, we as a church are declaring that this is our hope, this is our future, not these things, but it's the future of the Lord Jesus who is not just dead, but who's now alive and who is coming back again. That, by the way, is why we focus in our church and and many churches will because we recognize that Jesus died, but we know the second part of that is that he's alive. So even as we celebrate his death this morning, there is in that a recognition that he's alive and he's coming back. And he's coming back for you and he's coming back for me. That's the, that's the whole purpose. So how do we prepare for this? This should be a joy. It should be an encouragement. It should be a blessing in our life. It should be something about our past. It should be something about our future, that our hope is there. How should we prepare for that? Look at what 27 says. It says, whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person, so here's what we should do about it. If you take part in it unworthy, not that any of us deserve it, but we should be giving it the value of, of who the Lord Jesus is. And he says, in order to do that, in verse 28, let a person examine himself or herself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So don't do this without examining yourself. He explains it more. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. I don't know about you, but I don't, I got enough problems in this world. I don't want to add any more to it. He says, don't. Do this, or you're inviting and bringing more judgment onto you. In verse 30, this is crazy, but look what he says. That's why many of you are weak and ill, physically sick. And and some of you have died because you're not participating in this in the right way. Like This is no joke. He says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged, in other words, by God in heaven. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What's he saying? He's saying this. You and I, when we participate in this, this shouldn't be the only time that we discern and take any self-examination of our life, right? But it is a time, and it is a really important time, that we should we should be kind of ruthless looking at our own lives and our own heart, judging ourselves, not, not walking and abusing ourselves, not wallowing in our sin, woe is me, but we should be taking account. How am I doing today? Where am I? Am I really focusing on Jesus? We should be self-examining ourselves because what he says in the next verse is because if we don't do that, then God's going to do it. And when God does it, it's no fun. He does it not to condemn us. He actually does it because He loves us. When we have a relationship with Him, He judges us because He doesn't want us to be condemned with the world. 
He just wants us to be disciplined like a child, like a son that he loves. Straighten up. Act the way you're supposed to. And so one way or the other, you and I will be judged as we participate in this. You can either do it yourself or you can blow that off and God says, all right, I'll do it. And I'll deal with it. And apparently some in Corinth weren't willing to examine themselves. And God finally got to the point. It's like, well, there's nothing left for me. I, you're just making a mess of this. And because of it, he let things go. And some of them died in the process. Death, by the way, is not the ultimate judgment or condemnation. He finally said, you guys aren't going to straighten up. I'm just going to have to bring you to heaven. And you're done. Right? Your life's over. You're not going to be able to go wayward away from me anymore. That's it. So this morning, we should each examine ourselves. Let me give you three or four things to maybe things to hang your hat on or three or four areas to help you look at that. One is, is examine your salvation. You see, this is meant to be a memorial for people who have fully surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus. So it's meant to be for people who remember that, who have trusted in Jesus Christ. So if you've never surrendered your life to Him as Lord of your life, then just let this go by. It's better to do that than to bring judgment on yourself. If you've never really, if you're not sure, then let me encourage you to do this. Then make it sure. Surrender to Christ today. Well, Sean, I don't know how. Well, it's not. It really isn't difficult. Admit your sins to God. At least pick one. And the one that you're feeling and sensing in the moment, confess it to him and say, God, forgive me for that. And God, forgive me for all the ones I'm not even thinking about. I truly want to live my life your way. I want, I trust you. I want you to be Lord of my life. You say it in your own words. Make it between you and God. And then questions are over. And then you can participate in the supper. So examine yourself. Do you truly know the Lord Jesus? If you don't, let it go by. Second area, how is your relationship with other people? You see, Paul was telling these people, you guys are, you got problems. There were factions and divisions and there were isms in their group. And Paul said, you're better off. This is for the worse. So if you aren't living in a healthy relationship with the people in your life, and, I'm, and in this context, especially the people in our church, and Paul says, let it go by. There's anger and hostility and, you know, unforgiveness and all of that junk. And you're not where you need to be? Then let it go by. Now, am I saying that, well, Sean, I struggle to forgive every day. I, I do too. You don't have to live perfectly in this. So if you're recognizing that and you're, you've confessed it and you're working through that, then in full joy and blessing, know, remember that God is forgiving you for all of that junk. But if you are willfully just, you know, at odds and not dealing with it and blowing things off and just, you know, <laughs> it's the other person's problem, not my problem, I'm sorry. That's not good enough. You are bringing judgment on yourself. So examine yourself. Deal with that stuff. Third area, think about your attitudes. This is meant to be a focus, something that we struggle to do in our digital world more and more. My attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. 
And uh, I think, and I don't know if it's age, but I think my patience is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I'm just going to blame the internet for all of that. So that's the way I'm just, I'm, that's my scapegoat. It's just, well, I, I was fine till the internet came around. Till Al Gore invented the internet, I was good, you know. <laughs> that was a joke. Some of the younger ones don't know that joke. The older ones probably do. But your attitude is your focus on the Lord Jesus this morning, worshiping him. That takes a little bit of, Examination in your heart. And then the fourth thing is looking at your actions. None of us are perfect. None of us deserve this. In fact, that's the whole point. God gave us a gift when we couldn't and we don't deserve it. And none of us are good enough. We needed it. So I'm not asking you, are you this perfect person, God's gift to the world? But I'm asking you to humbly examine yourself. And are you striving to grow and to follow and honor God in your life today? If you are, then celebrate in this. That God is the one who helped you get there. And God's going to help you tomorrow. And humbly recognize, yep, I've blown it. But recognize that God's grace even today is sufficient for you. That His love is powerful. And His grace is so incredible. Thanks for listening to Rivercast. Brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.